When Jesus heard it, he marveled. Underline he marveled. That's important right here today. Jesus marveled. And he said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west, and they will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, as you've believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. Now flip over to Luke chapter 7. And this is the same story, as I've talked about before, a lot of times when we get into the Gospels, we'll see story and, and one story and then another story. And the same story, but there's a little bit different perspective. I, I like how one guy put it. He said, it's like being on opposite corners of a parade, watching the parade go by. If you're on this corner, you don't necessarily see what the guy on the other corner is seeing because of perspective, where you were standing, what you were feeling, what, we, what, you know, what was going on in your mind. You know, all these things all play into this. So let's look at what it says in Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 10. It says, now when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. He entered into the jumbled up mess without order. And a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. When Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him. So first he sends the religious leaders, and now he's sending friends. He's sending people close to him. And he says, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter my, under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled. Underline that. He marveled. He marveled at the man. He marveled at the centurion. And... Um, <clears throat> He turned around and he said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, underline that, those who were sent. Returning to the house, found the servant well who had been sick. When Jesus shows up in Capernaum, something's about to get put into order. Something's about to get straightened out. How many of us would say this morning that we need Jesus to show up in our Capernaum? Amen. Amen? I know I do. I need Jesus to show up in my Capernaum every day. Because without Jesus, it really is a jumbled up mess. Without order. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 6, it says, 
Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. My Lord. When he says my Lord, he is automatically putting himself under Jesus' authority. Do you know that? He's saying, Master. This is the Roman centurion. He's, he's, he's in charge of a hundred men. There is a chain of command in the Roman military. And he's, he looks at Jesus and says, Lord. My Lord, I'm your servant is what he's saying. I am your servant and my servant is in need of healing. He may die. It doesn't look good for him, Lord. Every time he, every time he looks at Jesus, he is <coughs> verbally, physically, emotionally, intellectually coming under Jesus' authority as he petitions him. Amen? Do you know that when we do that, when we petition the Lord, when we come... To him, when we intercede for somebody else, when we pray, we're automatically placing ourselves in a position of authority. Why? Why do I know that? Because we bow, we bend. We bend our will, we bend our, uh, our understanding of, uh, you know, we, we got this physical things going on around us that we can see, and we're bending our understanding to the one who we can't see. We're exercising our faith. <clears throat> this centurion is, is establishing that he recognizes Jesus' authority. Even though the centurion's a Roman, he's attempting to observe Jewish tradition. He says, don't come into my house. I'm just going to send people to you. Because if you come into my house, you will be ceremonially unclean. And this is a man, as we saw, that he helped build the synagogue. And he loves the nation of Israel. How weird is that, that you would have a, a Roman centurion who loved the nation of Israel? I want to ask you something. Why would he love the nation of Israel? He was probably a Jew. See, the Romans conscripted people into the military. When they came in and they overtook somewhere, they would conscript people into the military. The Roman army was so large because everywhere they went, they conscripted. They pulled people in. We didn't have a draft. They said, you're coming with us. Here's your sword. Here's your shield, whatever. Here's your sandals. You're coming with us. You're part of the group. This guy was probably a Jew. He understood the, the, the law. He certainly understood God. He understood the religion of God. And he didn't want Jesus to become defiled by, by coming in. Because in order to come into where this guy was, he would have had to bring himself around the other Gentiles. Okay? In John chapter 18, verse, eight, uh, verse 28, it says, Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, and it was early in the morning. But they themselves did not go into praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. See, they were Jews. They couldn't come into that. They didn't, they didn't want to become defiled. So, there's something to be said about the company that you keep. Okay? Let's flip back over to Luke chapter 7, verse 3 through 5. It says, So when they, when he, the centurion, heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him. And he pled with them to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. How many of us would, Lord, I need healing because I deserve it. 
Lord, I pastor the church. We've started a Bible study. We're reaching out to the community. Lord, I don't deserve to have this shoulder injury. My wife doesn't deserve to be at home sick in bed today. You know that God doesn't heal us because we deserve it? God heals us and he changes us and he touches us. Everything God does, he does because he loves us. He doesn't do it because he respects us. We know he's not a respecter of persons. God does what he does for us because he loves us. Because we're precious. I love that word. Every time I think of that word, I think, oh, I'm precious. You know, I might not be precious to a whole lot of people, but I'm precious to the one who holds the, holds the earth in his hands, who measures the, 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 spans, the, the expanse of heaven between his thumb and his forefinger. I'm precious to, to that guy. Say what you want. Think what you want. Amen? Let other people say what they want and think what they want. You're precious to the one who made you. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> so these guys, they were interceding, all right? These Jews. And then later these friends that would come along, they were interceding. There's intercessory prayer going on. Because guess what? They were going to the one who could fix the problem. They were praying to Jesus. Lord, heal this man. Heal this man. Heal this man because of the, the, the great rapport that the centurion has with the nation of Israel. Not because of the relationship that they have with God. Did you guys hear something funny? Yeah. Okay. That's not my head. That's all I care about. <laughs> Sorry. Squirrel. <clears throat> Intercessors reminded Jesus that this man built the synagogue. You know, when we go to God and we're begging God, don't we bring up everything? Sometimes don't we say, Lord, rem remember when I... I did this, or remember how I did this. Have you ever done that? Were you, you're just trying to remind God? It's okay to remind God. It's not that God has forgotten, but it's okay to remind God. Moses reminded God. It's okay to remind God, even when we're doing it wrong. It's okay to remind God, because he loves us, and he, wants, he knows what's on our heart. He knows what we're bringing to him. <clears throat> so as I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, Lord, what is, what is this mess that you're trying to clean up? I, I, think, that, I think that one of the things that Jesus was dealing with was, was in what way do people approach God in, in, our, in our jumbled up mess? We worry about religion. We worry about uh, defiling. You know, you can't defile God, Amen. Praise God, you can't defile God. We can defile ourselves, but we cannot defile God. So these guys were, they had a limited understanding of, of really who Jesus was. They knew he was a healer, but they didn't understand he was God. In Matthew 8, verse 10, something happens that there are 46 occurrences in, in the Bible that talks about this word marveled. And the word marveled is a word called delmazo. And this is what it means. It means um, <laughs> it 
It means causing God to wonder. It means to cause wonder. To, to, um, to cause one to admire. That's what damazo means. And um, Jesus marveled. Jesus had wonder. Jesus admired the centurion. I don't know if there's a whole lot of people in history that can say that God admired them. That God, that they caused God to wonder. To stop and wonder. The, the God who knows everything in creation, who knows what's going to happen, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> what has happened, how it's going to happen, caused Jesus to pause. Sorry, I think I inhaled some dust. <clears throat> Imagine doing something that makes God look at us with wonder. Think about that. Think about how we pray. Think about how we believe. Think about how we approach God. That's, that's kind of, you just, that, that puts a big onus on our prayer, doesn't it? Oh, maybe I shouldn't go to God with my, my little thing. You know, uh, he's just going to shake his head. I don't want him to shake his head. I want him to stop and think about what I'm saying. I want him to stop. I want to get his attention. Jesus marveled. When we show faith and we stand on it, I wonder, does it, does it move God to a place of wonder? Because he knows who we've been. He knows where we're coming from. And when, when God sees that change, that leap, that growth, does it make him wonder? Does it make him stop and say, Oh, Sue, look at that. She's precious, and look how she's doing it. Ah, oh. Kath, look at that. Look where you're at. Tracy, look where you're at. Look, what you, look, look at how, where you've come from. You used to not even believe enough to pray, enough to ask for anything, and now you'll ask for anything. So do we move God to a place of wonder, or, or do we wonder... What's going to happen when we pray? See, that's the other way that that word sort of works. We can cause somebody to, to stop and admire, stop and look at us with wonder, or we can wonder, we can question, we can doubt what's going to happen when we pray. <clears throat> the village of comfort, Capernaum, says, pray the quick prayer. And, and, the, and the village that, that is without order and, and is a jumbled up mess says somebody else will pray. But when Jesus shows up and enters into our Capernaum, it's not about who's praying. It's not about how it's being prayed. It's that he's going to answer that prayer. Because he has showed up. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 11, it says, Many will come from everywhere and they will sit with the conventional, covenantal fathers, sorry, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know those guys, you've heard of those three. Not those who were God's people, 
You see, he's talking about the, the Gentiles, us. He's talking about what it's going to be in heaven. We're going to come and we're going to sit with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because we came expecting, because we came believing. And yet these people, these, these children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob weren't going to. We were going to be welcomed. We are going to be welcomed. Gentiles are going to be welcomed. Believers are going to be welcomed. And while those in the kingdom will be cast out, who are these people that are stuck on their lineage, their genealogy, their history? I went to a church for 70 years, and my kids went to that church for 70 years, and 60 years, and 50 years, and we've done this, and we've done that, and us and God, we're good. You can hang your head on it all you want, but unless you, you've met Jesus personally, that doesn't amount to a hill of beans. The people on the outside will have relied on faith, will have hung their hat on the grace that we are saved by. Amen? Amen. Not by religious law, not by adhering to the, the strict uh, didache that, that is set down before, that was mine and Kathy's first word together, didactic. The strict adherence to, to, a, to a set of rules, that's not going to get it done. We've relied on faith. We've hung our hat on grace. We've hung our hope on Jesus. Amen? Verse, uh, Matthew 8, 13 says, As you have believed, <clears throat> you may wonder what jumbled up mess is Jesus fixing in Capernaum, and the truth is, I don't think there was a problem necessarily in Capernaum except that Jesus was setting the stage for the problem that's in us. When Jesus comes into Capernaum, when Jesus comes into our mess and begins to shake the dust off and pick up the carpets and look around and see the things that we've swept under the rug and, and, and the way that we've believed and not believed, and he wants to shake things up. What do you believe when you pray? The centurion believed Jesus was who he was. He believed in Jesus' authority. What are we believing when we pray? Are we believing first that we're going to the one who can answer the prayer? Or are we going through the motions? This is where we pray. Let's stop and pray. Oh, we're going to eat. Let's say this prayer. Oh, we're going to bed. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. I remember being taught that prayer as a child, but you know what I was never taught? I was never taught why we pray like that. Why, why every one of those little things as a kid are so important. But... You know who we didn't recognize there was Jesus. You know what else we didn't recognize? Our sin. You know what else? These are things that we don't, we don't take into account when we pray. We just have to get through the prayer. We just have to be about getting there. And here at the end, the important thing right here. And they that were sent returning to the house 
Who are those that were sent? What do we call those guys again? Intercessors, friends, yeah, friends, they were intercessors. Um, they found the servant hole that had been sick. I wonder if they thought, I wonder if those who were, who were beseeching Jesus to heal this man, I wonder if they doubted. I wonder if they expected to come home and see the guy dead. What did they expect? They were following authorities. They were following direction because they were under authority. Maybe not realizing that they were dealing with the authority. Amen? So these onlookers, someone is always looking for the outcome to your prayer. Do you know that? When you pray in front of somebody, when you pray with somebody, that person may not be looking for the outcome because that person's going through stuff. And if you've ever been the person who's really sick and really in a bad spot and you, somebody prays for you, you're thankful for the prayer, but you're not maybe all in on the prayer because you're so stuck in what you're going through. But the people that were around when that was going on, they're looking for the outcome. They're looking to see the outcome because it builds a testimony. It, 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 it proves that either God is who he says he is or as far as they're concerned that when, when the healing didn't happen or doesn't come the way it should, it, it, it's sort of, oh, yeah, I was right. But they're looking for an outcome. Luke 7.10 says that they returned and they found him well and it established a testimony. So maybe one of the things Jesus was dealing with was authority. Maybe that was the jumbled up mess without order. Authority. The centurion didn't have an authority problem. Jesus certainly did not have an authority problem. But the people around them did. Because what happens... What happens with people that don't want to submit to authority and they're, and they're around authority? What do they do? They grumble about authority. They complain about authority. They question authority. They revolt against authority. Hmm, that's us. That's us. We've been that. We've been that. Anybody been that this week? Oh, yeah, everybody's looking away. <laughs> Not me. I'm fine. <laughs> I think that the thing that Jesus was dealing with was, was authority, and it wasn't about the centurion, it was about the people around. It was about the, the onlookers. They're looking for the outcome, but they're not looking for the authority. They're not looking to the authority. We have an authority problem because we, we have unbelief at our core when we go to the Lord, when we, when we pray for somebody else. Unbelief is at our core. Sin is at our core. James talks about it. We've been talking about it in our Bible study. If you're not at Bible study, you should be at Bible study. We're, we're, we're dealing with faith and having our faith increase and seeing God and seeing what gets in the way of our faith and what gets in the way of, of, of seeing miraculous things happen. Sometimes it's sin. It's sin that we just let go, that we, uh, we sweep it under the rug. Uh, we don't want to deal with the authority on the issue because we think we're the authority on the issue. There's a lack of submission on our behalf. See, when you're under authority, you're submitted. You're wholly submitted. You're not questioning, you're doing. And if you're questioning, you're not doing. 
That's how authority works. That's how submission works. And um, I use the word unedited sin in our lives. You know what it means to edit something? You know, like I was editing my sermon after I typed the notes this morning because I was like, oh, I just want to share this. And just this little thought, I just want to share this. Unedited means nothing's changing. We're not, we're not, we're not getting out in front of it. We're not getting underneath of it. We're not, we're not changing what we're looking or what we're doing or, or how we're doing it. We're just letting it go. And we do that with sin because we may think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, I know God's working it out in me. And, and, and it's fine to trust in God to work those things out, but if we can't ignore them, we have, to, we have to actively be attempting or, or, or pushing through things, not just saying it's okay to keep doing what I'm doing because God's got this. We, we have a, with our authority issue, we have, a, we have a rank structure that puts us at the top of the, the um, chain of command. And um, God, we don't let God be there. We don't let Jesus be there. We don't let the Holy Spirit be there. And that's rebellion. When we put ourselves at the top of that chain of command. Say it again. Insurrection. Insurrection. King Saul. He was in rebellion. uh, Samuel said that is as a sin of witchcraft. Now, I know I can't put witchcraft and God in the same category. I believe that witchcraft is diametrically opposed to who God is, to what God wants to do. That's what rebellion is. It directly goes against every foundational truth of who God is. Throws itself up as as leader. Throws itself up as, as the last word. I think that Jesus was wanting to deal with authority. And he he allowed the centurion to bring it up. And he allowed the centurion to bring it up because Jesus didn't have authority over the people. See, at no time did the centurion talk to Jesus face to face. He talked to him through his friends. Unless I read it wrong. Let's look. Because I may have read it wrong. Oh, Jesus said to him, I'm sorry. Jesus did talk to him face to face. I'm sorry. I got, I, that's what happens when I went back and forth between Luke and, and, and Matthew there. But he talked about authority with the centurion because the centurion, Jesus had no authority over the people. Authority is an authority unless you submit to it. Okay, we have people today that say that Joe Biden is not our president. Guess what? He's our president. We're supposed to be praying for him. We're supposed to be praying for our country that, that things will go well for us, that we'll live peaceably. All right? When we don't submit, we take him out of authority and we place somebody else there. We try to put ourselves there. Um, Jesus was talking to the centurion about authority because... The centurion had the ability 
to enforce the authority on his people. Those people recognized the centurion where they didn't recognize Jesus, even though the centurion re recognized Jesus. Now, the other thing is that, um, I'm trying to remember because I didn't write this down, but um, he said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. The kind of faith that says, I don't have to be there when you do it. I don't have to know how you did it. I just know that you answered the prayer. And I believe you will. And I saw it, and I know you did. Where are, you, where are you at this morning? Are you trying to be under the authority of the centurion? Or are you trying to be under God's authority? The centurion couldn't heal his own man. But he knew who could. Do you want to just be the intercessor under authority of somebody else? Or do you just want to be the intercessor that's wholly under the authority of God? I want to skip as many roadblocks as I can, as many... I want to cut through as much red tape as I can when I go to God. Everything else needs to be out of the way so that I can approach God. I can boldly approach the throne of grace that I might obtain mercy. Amen? But you know that you can't put yourself on his throne. He's the authority. You have to recognize him as authority. Amen? God is dealing with authority in our lives. Submission in our lives. What are you going to submit to? Who are you going to submit to? <clears throat> Sorry about the little jumbled up mess, the little Capernaum I just had right there for a minute. Because I tried to throw in that thing I wanted to share about, about Israel and Jesus. But I should have put it in earlier. But um, that's how my mind works sometimes. That's why I usually have more thorough notes. But I'm trying to just depend more on God and... and and, and depend on what I, what, I'm, what I know and what he brings to me. And not so much about trying to write a pretty little story. Because I want to be under his authority. Not my paper's authority. Not the record's authority. Not the, any other authority. I just want to be under God's authority. I want to submit to his authority. Church, that needs to be our prayer. And if you want to intercede on behalf of somebody else in your church or in your family, maybe that should be your prayer. Intercede on their behalf, that they would accept, that they would understand, that they would come out of the place of rebellion into a place of being submitted to God's authority. Sometimes that prayer sounds a lot like, Lord, change their hearts. Touch their hearts. Touch their lives in a way that, that excuse me, that you're tangible. That, that you're more than an idea or more than a concept. That you are the true and living God. Touch their lives, Lord. In such a way that it's indelible that they'll never be able to say that you didn't, Lord. Because their, their, their lives is marked. <clears throat> their lives have been marked as precious. And nobody can take that away from them. It's kind of a bold prayer. But if we want to see those who weren't whole made whole, 
that's how we need to approach him, amen? Not doubting, not with our own baggage in the way. Let's get our stuff out of the way, because guess what? As those guys were going, I guarantee you they didn't want to carry anything with them as they were traveling from point A to point B. They just wanted to go, get it done, and get back. So leave everything behind when you go to the Lord, amen? Don't take any baggage in. Don't take any sin in. Don't take any doubt in. Don't take any, uh, uh, I got to know why in. Don't take any pride in. Just go and submit to his authority. Amen? And watch what God will do. Because this guy right here, he didn't go. He's the same, essentially, as the, the guy who was on the cot. They rip off the roof and they, they lowered him in. He's in the same position. He didn't go. The centurion didn't even go. Jesus said, hey, I'm going to go to him. Not only did Jesus come into the, into the mess, into the jumbled out mess without order, he, he went in even further. He, did, he went into Capernaum and then he went even, even in further to where this guy was sick. Because Jesus is willing, amen? Because Jesus doesn't come in with pride. Jesus doesn't come in with arrogance. Jesus doesn't, I'm the son of God and you're not. Excuse me while I heal this man. That's, that's not Jesus at all. He's meek, and he's humble, and he's loving, and he's kind. And he's moved with compassion at the prayers of his people. Lord, heal me if you're willing. Guess what? He's willing. Lord, my family needs this touch. He'll come into your Capernaum. He'll come into your jumbled up mess, your puzzle that's been flipped over made a mess of, and he'll put it all back together, amen? Some of you are dealing with a puzzle that you've been working on for a long time. And you might think you're even missing some of the pieces, but I promise you that when we continue to come to the Lord, he'll put that puzzle back together, amen? And it's going to look better than it ever looked. And it's going to fit together, and you're not going to be hunting around for missing pieces, amen? Because when he does a job, he does it completely. I'm thankful that God comes into my Capernaum. I'm thankful that he's not satisfied with my comfortable village. See, what I see is a comfortable village. What I see in the old language, the old Hebrew, that comfortable village, he sees it as the jumbled up mess without order. And unless Jesus is in your Capernaum, you'll never have order. You'll always have a mess. You'll always have doubt. You'll always have an unanswered Unanswered. You'll have an unasked prayer in your Capernaum. You know those are the only prayers God cannot answer. God can't say yes to them. God can't say no to them. And God can't say maybe to them. Because you haven't dealt with them. Maybe we should change the name of our church to Capernaum. The Lighthouse of Capernaum. We don't know what we're doing, but we know God's doing it. Come on in. Watch out for them rocks. Because the light burned out. <laughs> well, not in the lighthouse. The light isn't burned out. We just don't have power run out to it. But, yeah. Well, that's something, isn't it? We don't have any power. Lord, I don't have any power. 
In my Capernaum, Lord, I don't have any power. But you do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you in the name of Jesus this morning. I thank you, Lord, that you are not in the power outage business, Lord, that you are not in the um, let it be business. Father, that you are willing to step into our Capernaum, into our mess, Lord, and, and, and bring order, Lord. Father, you haven't left us alone. You haven't left us, even though we may feel like it, Lord. You haven't left us. So, Father, we're thankful for that, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would work in our lives, Lord, and when it comes to authority, Lord, Father, that we would understand that you are the, the first and the most, that you are the, the, the best and the, and the highest authority, Lord. Father, and if we'll come to that place where we'll go when you say go, and we'll come when you say come, and, and we'll be willing, Lord, to step in. Father, that you'll change things for us, that you'll change things in our lives, that you'll heal us, Lord, that you'll deal with depression, and you'll deal with all of these things, Lord, if we'll just simply, Father, submit to asking you. Submit to your authority as the one who can, Lord. Father, I pray that, that you would just continue to work in our lives, Lord. Continue to bring order to our chaos, to our mess, Lord. And Father, get us out of our comfort zone. Get us out of our comfortable little village that, that we've become content in, Lord. It's easy to become content when we don't have to answer to anyone, Lord. Help us to remember, Lord, that we're answerable to you for everything. Lord, that we can trust you to do what is right, Lord. Father, I pray over every person here today, Lord, and I pray that uh, you'd uh, give them traveling mercies, Lord. You'd keep them safe while they're at work this week, Lord. Give them favor in their jobs, Lord, and with their employees and employers, Lord. But, Father, I pray more, Lord, that, Father, that they would remember some of what, what was shared this morning, Lord, that they would remember to ask you first for whatever it is that they need, to come to you first, Lord, and to leave all their stuff behind, all their doubt and their worry and their insecurities, Lord, and their hang-ups, Lord, and their, and their sin, Lord, to leave it all behind, Lord, when they come into your presence. Come believing, Lord. And I, I just thank you, Lord, for for today. And I thank you for your mercy that's new today, Lord. Because you said it was. Thank you for your mercy and your loving kindness, Lord. I thank you for your patience as you deal with us and work through our lives and through us, Lord. And None of us are worthy on our own, Lord. But you've made us worthy. And you are worthy of our praise. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a closing hymn.